regions, you begin to understand that as a leader, bold choices have to be made. If we are a dedicated and committed people, making the world a better place to be is what it's all about. Region is gonna bring you into a community where everyone is different, but we all have one purpose, and that is to grow in leadership so that we can change this world. Thank you so much for reuniting with us now during this point. We're so grateful to have with us Dr. Michael Rechtenwald and also Mr. Leo Holman. Uh, Senator Rand Paul will be joining us. He's running a little bit late with the votes. He's live in Washington, D.C. And so now we will uh, join Leo Holman and Dr. Michael Rechtenwald as they interact with each other about what they've heard each other say. Gentlemen, go ahead. Leo, would you like to begin? Yes, absolutely. Uh, as I was listening to your presentation, uh, I was struck by uh, several elements. One thing that at, towards the end there that you talked about uh, was, you know, how do we resist this system? And you talked about the parallel society. I thought that was very interesting. It's something I've talked about as well, and I've never met this man here until today, and yet we were on the same track there. Um, one thing that jumped into my mind as you were expressing yourself in that vein was the biblical uh, admonition in Revelation, it's either chapter 17 or 18, where it says, come out of her, my people. And it's almost like God is warning us that this beast system would be uh, emerging at this, in these, at this end time uh, period of history. And... Uh, there's so many you know, ways that we could come out, but the warning is there, and if you don't, it says, come out lest you share in the world's sins and the world's plagues. And uh, you can see we're already seeing the plagues, and, and, and this is heading now towards food shortages, possible world war. Um, so I was very impressed by, by that part of your presentation. One question I had for you, though, when you meet with these politicians, you said that you, you, you go around talking with them on the phone or in person, whatever, uh, and, and, and spelling this out for them. What is the reaction that you typically get? Are they surprised? Do they have any inkling of what's going on? And, and are they open to any solutions that you might give them? Oh, yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. Yeah, they have... Uh a sense of what's happening, I think. They're, they're not clueless about all this. And certainly what I was trying to do is connect all the pieces together to show them how everything is interrelated. Um, so I think they have, uh, we, we talked about possible ways of them actually doing something legislatively. And uh, uh, some of the things have to do with, for example, many states Larry Fink doesn't just manage uh, the, the investment portfolios of billionaires. He has many state pensions under his control in the United States. So he's controlling the money 
of many states. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, go, go back. To, these were congresspersons. Go back to your states and talk to your legislators there and get them to recognize this and divest from these Larry Fink-held asset, uh, assets and uh, things like that, and also to enact legislation. I don't know what shape that would take. I'm not a legislator, so I've never written legislation or uh, ever considered uh, proposing any as such, but I, you know, legislation could block a lot of these kinds of uh, developments. Uh, human rights legislation might be necessary in order to fend off transhumanist developments, uh, just to make it you know, illegal to uh, surreptitiously uh, connect somebody, somebody's brain to the web using uh, smart dust, uh, things like that. Um, but we, we don't, I don't think it's gonna be limited to just these players that it could get in the hands of uh, different elements. And uh, so it's gonna be very hard to legislate frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, they're very aware uh, of a lot of the elements that I was talking about. That I don't think that they had heard it put together as such before. Mm -hmm. Did you have a follow-up question to that? Or did you react? One quick further question. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Dr. Rechtenwald, Event 201, and how that was held just two months before the onset of COVID yeah. uh, as sort of dress rehearsal on how the governments would react, the business community would react, the media would got all of its messaging, you know, on board with each other. Uh, well, that concerns me because they've also been holding simulations for a major cyber attack. When I see, say they, I'm referring to the World Economic Forum, the same one of the co-sponsors of Event 201, the forum also co-sponsored an event called Cyber Polygon last summer, I believe in July, uh, where they forecast a major cyber attack that would uh, attack our banking and financial system and possibly the electric grid. And so uh, do you foresee that, that happening? Well, you know, either the World Economic Forum is the most prophetic organization <laughs> on the face of the earth or something else. And I'm not gonna say what that something else might be. I'll leave that to conjecture. Others can draw their own conclusions. Um, but the prescience that they have displayed has been very uncanny, to say the least. So uh, I don't like hearing these kinds of things when they come out of the World Economic Forum that there's going to be a cyber attack uh, because of their prescience, we'll put it, uh, their, 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 their prophetic, uh, abilities. So it scares me when I hear that, and I think that's a real, a real concern. And I think another reason why to develop as quickly as possible, and we're, I think, way behind the, uh, the eight ball on this, uh, these parallel structures that survive all this, uh, surviving this possible disconnection from everything digital for a while, which would be banking, which would be all assets that are electronically held. Uh, so that could be a very serious. Yes, and one quick uh, follow-up to that. You mentioned something that was very on point the, about the difference between an ID and a digital identity. Yeah. And I think that is going to tie in with the coming cyber attack if it happens. Uh, the grid could be down for a number of weeks, possibly months, who knows. But when things come back online, what I've read in some of these uh, World Economic Forum type uh, 
papers is that what they want to do to protect the internet and protect us from another cyber attack is they want everyone to have a digital identity that you would have to type in or, or, or it's not a regular password, but it would be some sort of your personal, probably based on blockchain, your personal identity before logging into the internet. Mm -hmm. So you would not have access to the internet unless you buy into their digital identity, which will be a global identity unique to your person. Dr. Rechtenwald, thank you so much for um, your comments. I'm wondering if you have a question for uh, Leo Holman from his remarks earlier today. Yes, absolutely, thank you. Um, I think that one of the only areas that we basically have a little friction mm -hmm. is your characterization and that is not communism mm -hmm. uh, or socialism. And I think what I use the term corporate socialism because uh, it is a corporate-run socialism, as I see it. There's this oligarchy on top and then actually existing socialism for everybody else. And they're using socialist ideology and rhetoric all over the place. So how, did, how would you reconcile that with this idea that we're dealing with fascism? Uh, I think we are dealing with economic fascism, but I don't use the term fascism per se because, as you pointed out, it's international and fascism has a nationalist bent. So that's why I, I have eschewed mm -hmm, use of mm -hmm. that term. That's an interesting question, and I'm glad you asked it. Uh, one of the reasons I like to use that term is because the left hates it. When you call them communists, it's almost like a badge of honor. <laughs> I'm serious. You call them fascists, and they flip out. Uh, the other reason is I do see, I think our uh, what appears to be a, a little bit of difference of opinion there might be more semantical than anything else because when I look at the Third Reich and, and Nazi Germany, they could not have done what they did. The destruction that they wrought, the killing of the Jewish population, the rounding up and putting them in camps, that was all done with the cooperation of major corporations. Mm -hmm. IBM was in there helping them. Uh, the, uh, the big pharmaceutical company, I don't remember the name of it, but they, they were the ones, Bear. yes, Bayer, uh, helped with the, uh, the Cyclone D or B, whatever it was, that was the poison gas used in the, in the death camps. And so uh, it's this cooperation, which you eloquently described, between the gov people in the government and the people in the corporation uh, to control and, and yeah. frankly, annihilate uh, any dissenters to control the population. And one thing we didn't talk about, neither your presentation or mine, and it was kind of the elephant in the room, is this idea of they need a smaller population, a smaller global population. It is too unwieldy with seven and a half billion people to do what they want to do. Like you said at the end, it's not going to succeed and it will crash and burn as an economic system. But what if they're able to annihilate a third or half of the population? Does it then become maybe more tenable? Uh, you know, because they don't need a middle class as much as they do now if they have a much smaller, more manageable uh, population to fit into this new system they have, which you're calling it socialist. Corporate socialist. Corporate socialist. Yeah. I'm calling it uh, more similar to fascist, but what is in common, regardless of what you call it, mm -hmm. is it is collectivist. Yes. 
Absolutely. And, and we do have a historian coming up later in a presentation, uh, Bill Federer, and he'll go a little bit deeper into fascism, socialism, communism, and what it's been throughout the last 100 years. So we'll get into that. But I think you had mentioned that uh, there may be a goal or a reason to reduce the population significantly on the earth. That's, a, that's an incredible statement to say yeah. that. Do you want to say just a little bit more what your collective thoughts are? Well, have yeah, been on that? Bill Gates in a 2010 TED talk was uh, very frank about this. And he said that we need to go to a net zero carbon emissions, net zero. And the only way to do that, he said, uh, is we need to do a, he said, if we do a, a really good job with uh, healthcare, uh, reproductive rights, and vaccines, then we can reduce the population by 10 to 15%. That's a quote from him. Okay, that's not my words. And, and yeah, and, and so, and he's repeated over and over that the only way to get to net zero is to have a smaller global population. It is interesting how verbal the people associated with the World Economic Forum are. Yeah. They, they haven't been shy. We're going to come back to this discussion with Leo Holman and Dr. Rechtenwald, and we'll be taking questions from our audience for them as well. Welcome back to Regent University. This is our forum on globalism rising. We just heard from Senator Rand Paul. Now we'll be hearing a Q&A with Leo Holman, investigative reporter, and Dr. Michael Rechtenwald, Chief of American Scholars. Our first questioner is at the microphone. Could you give your name, where you're from, and your question? My name is Sharon Sogut. I'm a master's of law student at Regent University. I'm from Norfolk. It is being said that President Trump's Operation Warp Speed is intended to speed up the globalist agenda so that it may force implementation before the New World Order's timeline, thus causing the globalists to fall into their own traps. Have you heard anything related to this? Yeah, I mean, Operation Warp Speed. Uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of complaints uh, from uh, otherwise Trump-friendly people, uh, patriot types, that think that the Operation Warp Speed was, uh, in fact, Trump's biggest mistake, if not uh, in a colossal one, in effect. If I may address that quickly. Uh, yeah, I would agree that that was not President Trump's finest moment. Um, and if you noticed in his uh, Trump rallies, every time he would bring up the issue of Operation Warp Speed and the vaccines being super great, he would start to get booed. And this was the first time he was ever booed at one of his own rallies. And uh, lo and behold, after about three rallies of him being mentioning this Operation Warp Speed and how great it was and being booed, you suddenly see that dropped from his speech. Uh, at the at all of his rallies now, so uh, and and one other quick thing, he yes, they did bring that vaccine on board quickly. However, if you look on YouTube and research a uh, find a video of Dr. Tal Zaks, he's the chief medical officer of Moderna, and he oversaw the development of this vaccine, and he is on record in 2017 at a TED talk stating that they already had this mRNA technology completely perfected. 
And that was in 2017. They were, this was a vaccine waiting for a virus, not a virus waiting for a vaccine. Yes, they had to tweak it a little bit to, to, you know, to get the coding for this virus, but the basic technology was already there. Thank you so much for your question. And we have an, our next questioner. And if anyone else is, has their question ready, go ahead and you can go up to the microphone. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here today. My name is Peter Mitchell from Regent University School of Law. You mentioned, Leo, in your talk how the churches have been co-opted. Could you speak a little bit about how the church can be woken up, if it can be? Many churches are promoting the vaccine. Many churches shut down without any complaint back in 2020. And related to that, what, if any, is the connection of the globalist elite to Satanism? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question there. Um, I personally have been very disappointed in the response of the churches in this whole entire two years that we've gone through. Uh, there has been some that have stood up. Uh, I think it was the Calvary Church in, in, in uh, California. MacArthur, John MacArthur stood against it, and there's been others. But I have frankly been completely disappointed in many of the big-name Christian leaders, and I won't mention them here because when I do, I tend to catch some blowback uh, that, uh, you know, they were not only, some were silent and you could almost understand that, but then others were actively engaging in rolling out this vaccine. And I know for a fact that some of the big ministries were actually being paid to engage in partnerships with the pharmaceuticals to get this thing rolled out and to promote it in their churches. And I wouldn't say it's connected to Satanism, uh, but I would question the discernment of some of these Christian leaders because uh, I'm not even as high on this vaccine as uh, Dr. Rand Paul, what you heard there. I don't think anybody should have been uh, you know, offered to get it. Offered, yes, but there should have been zero coercion. I don't care what age you are, what age bracket you are, what your comorbidities are. If you get this vaccine, you are taking on a whole new set of risky uh, health outcomes. Uh, the myocarditis he mentioned, that's just one of them. In the first three months of this rollout, there was over 1,200 different side effects of the Pfizer, to the Pfizer vaccine that the FDA and the CDC uh, covered up and prevented the public from uh, learning about. They only recently released it after they got sued uh, and, and were forced to release it, and it came out in a huge data dump of 55,000 uh, pages, and people are still combing through that to find out what's all in there. Thank you. Uh, Michael Rechtenwald, did you yes, want to respond? Yes, I, I mean, also, the, there's, there's data that has come out of Great Britain that shows that the, the vaccine, vaccine is actually having a negative efficacy. It's actually worse than not being vaccinated in terms of getting sick and getting hospitalized and dying. This, this is data that's now emerged. Of course, they squelched it once it came out. Uh, but yeah, that's very, very much on the table. So um, yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, how the statistics changed 
um, cases were being reported after a while to find out how many cases. They were starting with deaths. CNN, right. for instance, reported the number of deaths every day that would come from it. But you'd never get a data counter ever on CNN that reported adverse reactions yeah. to the vaccine. That number was scrubbed. That was considered disinformation. I think that's been a big part of what we've seen in the last two years. It almost seems like it's a deception and it's a illusion that we've been dealing with. We have our next question. Your name and where you're from. Eric Phillips, originally from Seattle, Washington. I'm a 2L in Regent Law School. <laughs> and Older your <question>. student. <laughs> um, there's been some concern um, about the preservative graphene oxide within that was explained to me by a radiological interventionalist who kills cancer by moving the instruments in through the veins and then isolating them and killing them. What she said, what she told me, was that this has been a major contributor to the deaths caused by the vaccine, that this could be one of those issues that is, that is doing it and that it goes into the lungs and lays resident in the lungs. And I looked back at the mercury that was done in the before as a preservative, and I'm one, you know, that, that has been linked to autism. Um, Jim Carrey's... Jim Carrey's uh, children, or one of his children, I think it was his son. So have you find, found anything about this graphene oxide and it being responsible for uh, any of the problems with COVID? Graphene oxide, and I'm told it actually turns into graphene hydroxide once it's in the body, is a toxic substance. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm not a doctor, but it is a toxic substance uh, and one of many ingredients in this vaccine that have never been released. Uh, you go to the pharmacy and ask for the package insert telling you what all is, what all, giving you a readout of all the ingredients in that injection and they can't do it. Zero in the box at zero is what she exactly. And why is it doesn't this? exist? They do not tell you what the ingredients are in the box. She's pulled them out and looked at them, and that, that's what she told me. Correct. And why is this? Because it is not approved by the FDA, folks. It is only being administered under what's called emergency use authorization. They tell you the Pfizer injection mm -hmm. is approved. That it was approved. That was a mirage. That was the Comirnaty uh, uh, injection, which is an affiliate of Pfizer. However, if you go and ask your doctor or the pharmacist to give you the approved Comirnaty injection, he won't be able to do it. This is an extremely important point. Yes, so it doesn't the exist. All people who've been vaccinated in the United States today with this drug, it is not an approved injection. It is only emergency use. Uh, approval, not full licensure. And so because it's only uh, emergency use, they don't have to tell you what's in it. Uh, now, they are supposed to give you what's called informed consent. This is, this is the bedrock principle that came out of the Nuremberg Code, that any experimental medical treatment must be uh, accommodated with informed consent, meaning uh, you not only consent to it, 
but you're given all the information about it, okay? So you can make an educated decision as to whether you want to take this emergency experimental drug. They're violating our own laws, our emergency use authorization, federal law passed by Congress. They're violating that because it says you cannot be coerced, you must be given all the information, and it must be voluntarily accepted. How is it voluntarily accepted if you're told you'll be fired from your job if you don't get it? So they're violating not only the Nuremberg Code that came out of World War II, but our own federal law. Thank you, Leo. Dr. Rechtenberg, did you have any response to uh, that? No, I, I, I'd say that, you know, the, um, yeah, it's very clear that this is not the actual approved vaccine. And uh, it's, it's the emergency use authorization. We're basically still under that. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a violation of the Nuremberg Code to coerce anybody into any medical procedure that is experimental. Uh, so... That, that, that is a clear violation. And this is a clear example of government authority, uh, authoritarianism yes, and yes. of corporate authoritarianism. Yes. Thank you so yes. much. Did well, it would seem, just to respond to that, it would seem that it, it could be disclaimed uh, in a legal sense is what we've been taught, that a lot of things can be disclaimed and, and written and put in there and still include the ingredients. It's it's wholly un unreasonable. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say just quickly about the Moderna is that I knew of two men, they were over 80, and both turned the, took the Moderna and both had, and these are isolated incidents, just separate incidents. I just want to say I came across them and haven't come across, asked anyone else though, but both of them ended up with strokes and just wanted to share that if you knew anything about the blood clotting that, that goes on with the Moderna or anything like that. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your question. We have another question before this segment is over. Hello, I'm Doug Cook from Regent University. What role, if any, does the Russia-Ukraine war play in the Great Reset, or is there any overlap between uh, the parties that are involved in that conflict and some of the parties that you've been talking about in your presentations? Well, uh, as, as you may know, that Klaus Schwab basically threw Putin out of the World Economic Forum. Uh, he effectively banished him now since the, uh, since the aggression. And uh, so <clears throat> uh, Putin has been very clear that he is not going to be party to any new world order. And that's part of his posture, I think. It has to do with the idea that he is defending national sovereignty and the sovereignty of his citizens. Now, I'm not saying that's what he's doing in invading Ukraine. I'm saying that that's the posture that he's had politically overall. And um, the invasion, I think, is... Uh, was uh, predicated upon a few things. First of all, of course, the coup in 2014, which was orchestrated under Obama and the Obama administration, uh, in which a democratically elected uh, president was replaced by a puppet. Uh, so this is uh, all very clear. And uh, so that puppet then had an aggressive posture towards Russia, and then started to, then they started to uh, attack the, the uh, people in Donbass, uh, the Russian-speaking uh, people more affiliated with Russia than Ukraine. So there's a lot of history that, to this conflict that hasn't been aired through the mainstream media that is being squelched. 
uh, in this kind of like cartoon version here that we have Zelensky as a, you know, a superhero and Putin as your supervillain and there's no gray area and not, nobody has done it. You know, Zelensky's never done anything wrong in, in his whole life and Putin has been nothing but a tyrant and dictator and a uh, murderer, mass murderer for all time. But uh, there's, there's some things to think about. Would the United States sanction having nuclear weapons owned by Russia poised on our southern border in Mexico, for example? Would there not be a response to that? So this is something that, you know, Putin has been uh, very much uh, up in arms about and is up in arms about. I had is. wondered, Dr. Rechtenberg and also uh, Dr. Leo Holman, could you comment on the Young Global Leader Initiative that yeah. the World Economic yeah. Forum has? Yeah. Because Vladimir Putin was one of the students right. in the Young Le Leader group for Absolutely. World Economic Forum. We only have a little over two minutes yeah. left, but could you say something about this important forum? There's about 1,400 alumni, including uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, the, uh, the oh. Deputy uh, uh, Prime Minister, half of the cabinet in Canada, also much of the cabinet in Venezuela. Could you just speak Absolutely. about this Absolutely. Yeah, if you look at every Western country right now, not only NATO, but even, you know, over in Australia, New Zealand, you, then you've got the U.S., Canada, all the Western European leaders, you see nothing but puppets. It's like the World Economic Forum got rid of the last bastions of independent leaders. Uh, uh, when, when Trump was exited out and you had the leader in Italy, I forget his name, but he was another bastion of nationalist type leader. Um, yeah, and so every country now is, is led by basically a puppet of the World Economic Forum. Now Putin, he was one of the early graduates of the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders, Leaders Program, but as uh, the doctor said here, they had a falling out. I think Putin was offered uh, the terms, the terms of this great reset, and he said, no, I can't agree to that. And it was at that point that the whole Ukraine thing blew up. Uh, and this is what they're using as a fulcrum to get rid of Vladimir Putin because he does not ascribe to this great reset. Um, and, and that basically is, I think, what you're, going on, what you're seeing right now, total one-sided coverage from the media. Uh, every conflict has two sides. And I'm not saying Russia is in the right necessarily, but there is the Russian side to this story. And when people confront me and say, what? you're too easy, you're going too easy, I, put, I say one thing, Monroe Doctrine. Do you know what the Monroe Doctrine is? If you don't, go look it up, because that says the U.S. will not tolerate any hostile uh, force, any stacking of military arms, on it, not only on its border, but in this entire hemisphere, Western hemisphere. We're, we've been stacking uh, uh, military hardware on Russia's border And with that, I think we've got to close. Our time is coming to an end. We have so many more questions, but audience, would you please help us thank our speakers, Leo Holman and Dr. Michael Rechtenwald.